Talk Recorded live. Welcome back to the Golden Goal Podcast, our first recording of 2016 here on uh, Martin Luther King Day uh, in Atlanta, um, celebrating the uh, legacy of uh, one of America's greatest heroes. I am James Carr, joined as always by Drew Collins. Drew, how has uh, 2016 treated you so far? Uh, 2016's been an up and down ride thus far, um, but today is an okay day in Atlanta, always special, so um, yeah, doing well, doing well, man. I saw today that um, Liverpool has signed uh, Mignolet to a new deal until 2021. How does that make you feel? Um... Uh, about as comfortable as uh, Mignolet uh, covering a corner or yeah, a corner kick. So yeah, that should tell you all you need to know. I hope that's that it's a it doesn't have any structure as far as his role on the team. Um, I'm sure it'd be a fine backup or maybe a uh, FA Cup sub, possibly. You know, when the fixtures build up, uh, I just don't see him as a long-term solution at all. Yeah, I didn't either. I was very um, sort of surprised to see that length of a contract, but. Perhaps um, Jurgen Klopp is just looking to solidify a few key positions before making some changes to the squad this summer. Um, of course, they're very much a squad in um, transition uh, this year, so uh, a lot remains to be seen before his vision comes to uh, fruition. Um, as we look at the Premier League table, fortunately we still have Leicester uh, up there mixing it up with uh, Man City, uh, Tottenham, and Arsenal. So maintaining a strong uh, run here in the Premier League. But today we're not really going to be focused on the uh, Premier League. We're going to be talking about the uh, Atlanta Silverbacks, a team that was, uh, well, it basically doesn't exist currently. The, uh, the NASL, who was maintaining the operations of the Atlanta Silverbacks, uh, will uh, basically decided not to operate the team next year. And there has been a lot of updates and changes regarding um, the Atlanta Silverbacks and Atlanta United um, in terms of mixing and matching between the different leagues. And we're going to break that all down with Kartik Krishnayer, who is the former communication director at the NASL. And uh, you can currently find him on World Soccer Talk. But um, before we bring Kartik onto the show, Drew, um, you know, what, when you saw that the Silverbacks were uh, going to be shuttered for this season, what, what, what were your first thoughts? Well, initially you're sad but you, because they've been such a, a big part of the community, the soccer community here in Atlanta um, for a number of years. And, and you know, I can't say I wasn't surprised, though. We spoke, we've spoken about this numerous times, wondering what their role was going to be. And, um, you know, this was always one of the options. And, you know, to say I'm surprised or shocked, that would be a, a total lie. But disappointed, yes. Um, and I look, I look forward to continuing um, – speaking with, with our guests. I mean, we just keep on, you know, we said it in 2015, we had some really superb guests on, um, and, and this year is going to be even better, James. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be a, a fun year, especially as we really start to um, see the formation of Atlanta United. Uh, any day now, there could be uh, announcements about coaches or players, so um, it's very exciting times in the Atlanta soccer community. In general, although I, I suppose the better word would be bittersweet because um, yeah. you know, after we have gained one team, we have lost uh, another, at least temporarily. Right, yeah. And, and you know, the Silverbacks are we're big in community, like I said, and you know, they've been doing it for so long, and um, they, they truly will be missed if this is the uh, final hurrah for the Silverbacks. 
Indeed. Well, we will uh, discuss that and more with our guest, Karthik Krishnayer, in uh, the other side of the break. Remember, you can follow the uh, Golden Goal podcast on Twitter at Golden Goal ATL, and you can fi- follow myself at James Carr 89 and you can follow Drew at Collins Drew. Stick with us for just a second, and we will be back with our guest, Karthik Krishnayer. All right. Welcome back to the show. We're uh, pleased now to introduce Karthik Krishnayer, who is the former NASL Communications Director, he's going to break us, help us break down uh, very complex scenarios that uh, went into the Atlanta Silverbacks shutting down uh, in 2016. Karthik, how are you this Martin Luther King Day? I'm doing quite well, guys. Thanks. And I just want to chime in on your first uh, subject on the show. I think uh, Jurgen Klopp's New England, and he saw how bad Adam Bogdan was when games he started him with the game. And- <laughs> As the uh, the game against Watford, that he, he realized maybe, maybe media really isn't so bad after all. Um, I, I agree that Liverpool should upgrade keepers, but that might be why they resigned him because I was stunned by it as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you know, that, so fear can be a powerful driver of action. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, it can be. So uh, that you know could be spot on there. Um, yeah, as we 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 look at the Atlanta Silverbacks, you wrote uh, an article. Um, a couple of days, or right around the time when the news about the Atlanta Silverbacks um, announced that they would be shutting down, and it was something uh, to the effect of that the United States Soccer Federation has not done enough or perhaps anything to stop predatory practices of sports leagues. And um, I'm wondering if you can just share uh, with our audience the, the sort of premise for that and, and sort of what what those factors went into um, and manifesting into the Silverbacks shutting down. Yeah, I, I think, guys, that the way I look at things right now is that the United States Soccer Federation has taken a very laissez-faire approach towards our pro league in the United States. So they have not been willing to put a foot down and say, okay, uh, we have an established existing pro uh, club in this market. Uh, if MLS is going to go into that market, maybe they should work with the existing pro club. This happened once before with the Silverbacks, actually, when in, uh, in uh, 2008, after that season, Boris Vakunica, the owner, decided to suspend operations, largely because the, it looked like Arthur Blank was, was, was sniffing around putting an MLS team in Atlanta at the time, and uh, Mr. Blank wasn't going to work with him at, at the time. So uh, this is the second time around for Atlanta with this scenario. This time the MLS team is real. Blank does have a new stadium. He's putting a team in. But it doesn't just apply to MLS. It also applies to NASL putting a team in Oklahoma City when there is an existing team, USL team there that's doing quite well. It also, uh, it, also, uh, 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 it also talks about USL because USL put a team in Tampa when NASL had an established team in that market, and that team folded after one year. Now, there are certain markets, obviously, that can absorb having uh, more than one professional soccer team and the competition in some of those markets, like New York with the Cosmos and then NYCFC and Red Bull could, could be uh, positive. Same thing in the L.A. market, et cetera. But some markets are not mature enough for that. And I would also argue that when you have had investors put millions and millions of dollars into uh, a market, in Boris's case, it's tens of millions of dollars, into a, a specific market going back 20 years, and then you get, just get shoved out of the way for the next new thing, that doesn't speak well to the sport, and that doesn't help grow uh, the, the sport. And we right now have a very fragmented fan base. We have people who don't watch domestic soccer. They only watch the Premier League, or they only watch 
uh, Liga MX, and we have even within our domestic fan base people who only watch MLS and not watch the lower divisions. Uh, there's a lot of hostility from MLS fans towards European uh, football. I've, I've experienced that again this week with the whole Jordan Morris thing. So the fragmentation, I think, partly reflects the laissez-faire attitude of the USSF to allow a dog-eat-dog world in, in our professional uh, soccer setup. So I'm kind of, as you were describing this, um, I'm reminded a, a bit of a scenario that played out in Georgia. Um, I was looking, I was doing a lot of research about renewable energy and infrastructure and that kind of thing. And um, basically the way Georgia is set up, uh, when, they, when we first started getting to, you know, the electrical grid and they were building power lines, companies were going around building power lines everywhere. They were, they, you know, there were several instances of competitors cutting each other's power lines and they were building on top of each other because they all wanted to, you know, maximize, because everybody needed power, so they were, it was all over the place. And basically the state government came in and said, okay, Georgia Power, you're going to have Fulton County. Cobb Energy, or, you know, the EMC, you're going to have Cobb County. And you're, you know, and, and basically they just divided up the state into a bunch of little monopolies, which is now manifesting itself into different types of problems when you talk about renewable energy. But at the time, it provided the necessary infrastructure for all of these companies to grow and to have a consumer base and to then compete on a more regional basis. I'm wondering if you think that that is the sort of approach that the U.S. Soccer Federation should be taking in terms of creating some clear-cut guidelines and divisions so that each market can have their own niche and go after that rather than, uh, you know, as you mentioned, treading on each other uh, at every other step. Yeah, I think that that's something that's been long overdue, the U.S. Soccer Federation taking an interest in that and defining clear parameters for each division, Division 1, Division 2, Division 3, not moving the goalposts when it suits certain corporate interests like uh, has been alleged with the the, the proposed new D1 standards and, and helping Major League Soccer uh, by moving the goalposts so NASL could never be a Division 1, uh, potentially. And also, I think, emphasizing some degree of regional play. I think one of the mistakes they made, and this, this is actually the fault of the NASL, I was working at the NASL at the time, the fault of the NASL and traffic sports who were the financial benefactors of the NASL, the, the, the organization that funded the NASL, and since have obviously been tied into the FIFA scandal and discredited. The desire to have a national league with national sponsorship at the Division II level pushed this whole uh, this, this, this uh, requirement, which was very much pushed by traffic sports and the NASL, and the USSF adopted it to have to be in all four time zones within five years, or for all four U.S. time zones, and to uh, essentially have a national league. I think cut costs are, are more manageable for investors in lower division soccer if you regionalize the leagues. And it's better for fans because fans can travel to games and can develop rivalries. And right now, I don't think it, it was very logical for Atlanta to be playing Edmonton three or four times a season in the NASL. It just is not logical. When you're talking about a lower division product, trying to build rivalries and getting fans to buy in. Yes, going to, Raleigh, to the Raleigh-Durham area to play uh, Carolina four times a season, three times a season, the last few seasons, four times a season prior to that, makes a lot of sense. Going to St. Petersburg to play the Tampa Bay Rowdies, uh, fans can travel to those venues. But uh, playing in Edmonton, playing the games in California makes no sense. So that's another thing I would encourage, not only the clear parameters, which kind of defines wh which markets lie where, although there are obviously should be exceptions, which is why you say 75% of markets should be over a certain population, but there can be the 25%, which are exceptionally good markets, like Salt Lake is an exceptionally good Division I market we found for MLS. It's not the 
big, it's a top, it's not even a top 40 television market, but it is a Division One market. It's proven itself. Charleston, for years, was a really good Division Two market. It's now down to Division Three. Wouldn't meet any D2 requirements as far as uh, size of uh, market. Barely meets the stadium size requirement, but their stadium is fantastic. So there are exceptions, but I think generally you want to set those parameters and uh, allow for exceptions, but not allow for half the league to be exceptions. Um, I just wanted to, um, just before we bring up, uh, so Atlanta United has announced an affiliation with a USL league team, the the Charleston Battery, which is, uh, is that the team you were just referring to? Yes. 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 Same okay. Um, and so before, before we get into that whole aspect, I'm wondering if you can sort of break down for folks um, the the sort of rivalry and, and the origins of where the NASL um, and MLS in particular sort of have uh, beef, as it were, because it seems more like the MLS and USL are more in line with or acceptable to working towards each other, where it doesn't seem like the NASL has really been able to form any sort of partnership. Right, and that's um, kind of a, a separation or a diversion from where we were a few years ago. Uh, I just mentioned that uh, Traffic Sports and the NASL worked closely with the USSF to develop the D2 standards in 2010, which are the D2 standards the NASL uh, live under now. That mm-hmm. came about because at the time the U.S. Soccer Federation and by extension Major League Soccer were not thrilled with the way USL had been governing Division Two. Uh, there was too much chaos at the Division Two level, teams coming, teams going. Uh, you just It was a wild west for, for all intents and purposes. So the NASL broke off, the NASL clubs broke off, and uh, vied to be a competing second division, and then worked with the U.S. Soccer Federation to, to generate standards, which essentially disqualified USL from being a Division Two league. It was, uh, it was done in a very uh, indirect fashion, but USL was forced then to... Uh, to self-relegate, if that's the term you want to use, to, to Division Three, And they already had a Division Three league they were operating, so they just merged their Division Two teams back up with their Division Three teams, and their Division Two teams all had to relegate themselves to the third division. The NASL was very amenable to working with Major League Soccer, had ver- some excellent high-level discussions, which uh, Neil Morris, uh, who writes for WRAL in the Raleigh-Durham area, has detailed in, in uh, an article he wrote about kind of where the NESL is. Uh, he published this in September, so I, I would urge all our, all our listeners to listen to it, that basically, or excuse me, not to listen to it, to read that article, that the NESL, and I can say this from having worked at the NESL at the time, we were in high-level discussions with MLS about a partnership and about some sort of uh, exchange of players, not necessarily reserve teams, although that was talked about too, but I, I'm not sure our owners were wild about that idea. Um, but the talk of... Um, 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 of doing the, the sorts of things like player exchanges, partnerships, marketing agreements that now USL is doing in addition to the reserve team. Then what happened was all of a sudden the New York Cosmos joined the NASL. The MLS, I think, had believed that they would get their hands on the Cosmos. I'm not quite sure how that broke down, but Obviously, for many, many years, Don Garber made a second New York team a priority. All signs indicated it would be the Cosmos. Then all of a sudden, the Cosmos offered to join NASL at the urging of traffic sports. They're the ones who locked in that deal with the Cosmos, and the the entire thing fell apart. Uh, neither side wanted to work with one another after that had happened because I think the way MLS viewed it was that the um, – 
NASL had poached the team, a potential team from MLS. The way NASL viewed it was, well, we now have the Cosmos, and they're the biggest brand in American soccer. You can argue whether that's true or not, but that was the perspective internally at the NASL. They're the biggest brand in the history of American soccer, club brand at least. We've got them. MLS doesn't. Uh, we're going to be as big as they are. We're going to be able to compete with them, so we don't need to make an agreement that makes us a subservient lead to them. So that was the premise by which the NASL has operated since the summer of 2012, now going on about three and a half years before years this summer since that uh, pivotal event. And that's when MLS circled back and, and began talking to USL, a league that they had previously had a partnership with. Atlanta Silverbacks, uh, your team there, was a partner of my team down here, the Miami Fusion, before the Fusion folded. And then um, that was our, if you want to call it, our AAA affiliate. And there was a AA affiliate, which I believe was uh, uh, the Charlotte Eagles. Uh, it was some, there was this affiliate setup that MLS and USL had in, in the late 90s, early 2000s. That got broken down in about 2003, 2004. USL had, had, had broken that agreement. That's when MLS started poaching USL teams, trying to bring Rochester to MLS. That fell through, but then brought Seattle, Portland, Vancouver up to MLS. And so there had, in, in, internally at MLS, there had really not been the desire to work with USL again. But the NESL kind of forced their hand, and starting in early 2013, USL and MLS cozied up to each other, now to the point where we see USL as essentially a, uh, a league without any sort of independence. And there's inherent pressures within the league between reserve teams owned and operated by MLS teams and independent clubs in USL, so, like the Charleston Battery, who've now made this affiliate agreement with Atlanta United, which I think is great for them, uh, great for both sides, actually, that, um, that have a, a long history and, and, a long, uh, uh, and a lot of independent fans who are fans of that club and not fans of an MLS club behind them. So that's where we are now. The, the relationship between those two leagues really was uh, created uh, on, uh, as a shotgun marriage after the Cosmos going to NASL. Drew, you got all that? Um, yeah, yeah, I do. I'm right. Hold on. I'm still writing. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that is quite – and that's, you know, it's, it's very – what's the word? It's not simplistic. I mean, that's how American soccer is. It's, it's like a big diagram that, you know, it's a flow chart that – Things are going everywhere, and, man, I, it's tough to understand. I mean, getting Americans to understand uh, different tournaments, you know, in English Premier League is hard enough. Yeah. Um, trying to yeah. explain trying to explain to them um, different, you know, relegation, and then you come over here and, like, well, no, it's just a different league, but this league, you know, it's, it's that makes it exponentially more difficult. Um, Carding, my question to you is I believe it's the U.S. Soccer Federation who is over all of these. Is that correct? Correct. And what what is their role? It seems like they've kind of just stepped back and let all this happen, almost like um, you know the, the free market here. When there probably was a, a role when they should have put their hand in it and, and determined some re, um, regulation. Yeah, absolutely. This is that that's kind of the premise of my article is that they they've allowed this uh, sort of predatory behavior between the leagues to take place. They've allowed leagues to just kind of and I know it's a very American thing to be laws I fair. Americans like to complain, oh, Europeans regulate things too much, and maybe they don't, they're, they're, they're adapting that mantra, and they don't like the model of, of European uh, football associations regulating their, uh, their leagues and their clubs as heavily as they do. Although I have to say, uh, being someone who watches the English game very closely, not just the Premier League, but the Championship and, and uh, the Football League, uh, the, the FA not had much success re- properly regulating 
of the, those clubs as much as they pride, particularly the Premier League clubs. So um, that model may not work also, although, of course, the amount of revenue that's generated by the Premier League exceeds anything else in this sport. So uh, that's a little bit different than the the minimal amount of revenue that's generated, quite honestly, by comparison by any uh, league or, or tournament held in the United States uh, when you compare it to the Premier League. So they have taken a very kind of laissez-faire attitude, hands-off, uh, we're, we're going to let you guys fight, duke it out, fight it out. There have been allegations that, there, that they uh, have a preference for Major League Soccer. I believe that is the case. However, I do not necessarily subscribe to the point of view that a lot of NASL fans throw out there that they're essentially an extension of MLS, or MLS is an extension of the USSF. They're a monolith. Uh, there are some behind the scenes, some inherent tensions between MLS and, and the U.S. Soccer Federation, one of which is uh, on the U.S. Open Cup now. We saw the MLS reserve teams tossed out of the U.S. Open Cup for this next season. Um, again, the U.S. Open Cup is – these cup competitions are a complicated uh, thing for American, non-American – for American non-soccer fans to understand. So we have a cup competition, too, that involves all the pro and amateur teams in the country, mm-hmm. like the FA Cup in England, and anyone can qualify for it. We, you and I could get – the three of us could get a team together, a pub team together, and kick around and try and qualify. So it is an open cup, as is the um, reference in the name. The MLS reserve teams have now been tossed out of that tournament. The MLS reserve teams playing in USL. I know um, from sniffing around the MLS combine last week, a lot of MLS executives are not happy about that and uh, very unhappy the U.S. Soccer Federation made that decision. They're also very unhappy that they feel like the U.S. Soccer Federation has pushed some of uh, players, most notably now Jordan Morris, to, to attempt to get contracts abroad. Jordan Morris is on trial right now with Werder Bremen. All indications are he'll be offered a contract by the Bundesliga club. Uh, he is, was given a, a lucrative offer from MLS, from the Seattle Sounders, which is his hometown club. He came through their academy. His dad works for the team. Uh, he's a team doctor with the Sounders. Uh, but he made the decision to go uh, try and make uh, try and make the, uh, get an offer in Germany with Werder Bremen taking up this trial. The trial apparently was arranged by a U.S. Soccer Federation employee. So that's um, that. There are tensions between the leagues, but um, I still do believe that the league. I mean, excuse me, the federation as a whole tilts towards um, MLS in in uh, in their preference of professional leagues and probably gives MLS more leeway than they do the other two leagues. Do you think? Uh, uh, I was just going to ask a quick question about the Jordan Morris trial, or uh, 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 yeah, at, over at Werder Bremen, and I was wondering if you know, Jurgen Klinsmann has bring, made it pretty apparent that he believes players should be playing over in Europe. Did he have a hand in that? Is that sort of the feeling? Yeah, the feeling is he and Andy Herzog, uh, his assistant, who uh, of course is a former Bremen player, uh, had a hand in that. And my personal view is that we need to be getting our young players. Able, uh, to play at the highest level possible. MLS will always be there for him if he doesn't work out at Bremen. I'm in the camp, and I, this has created a lot of division in the last week within our soccer fandom community. Again, we're very fractured. I'm in the camp that believes if a Bundesliga club comes calling and your other offers from MLS, you go pursue that Bundesliga contract because it is a much higher level of soccer. But uh, there are a lot of people who are saying, no, he should stay home. We can market him. He'll be more comfortable. He'll develop. He'll definitely get playing time. If he goes to Germany, he may not play. All of that is true, but I'm, I'm of the opinion that 
Uh, and, and so is Jurgen Klinsmann, obviously. You need to get your guys to the better leagues. You need to get them to the Premier League, to the Bundesliga, to La Liga. Those three leagues especially are the three best leagues in the world. You need to get your guys over there. This is our best young player right now, our, our best young attacking player. He has an opportunity potentially to move to the Bundesliga. You've got to take that opportunity. Go ahead, James. Mine's going to be a uh, Atlanta United um, question. Um, well, I, I, I'm, I mean, I think I'm happy to move in that direction, so you can go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess my, my next question is, with the uh, Silverbacks recently folding and Atlanta United uh, partnering, partnering with the Charleston Battery, whom I've been to many games, I, I used to live in Charleston, um, and it is a wonderful facility out there. I think it's going to be a great partnership. Does that mean that the Silverbacks are all but done, uh, being that they probably won't have some sort of um, feeder club in the same city? It just seems like that isn't uh, what the MLS does. Yeah, that's a good question because I, when Orlando made this agreement with Louisville City last year, and in fact, uh, Jamie, uh, Jamie O'Connor went to coach, uh, uh, James O'Connor went to coach Louisville City, and he's a former Orlando City player, and he's connected to the to some, in, in, this is about backroom politics, but there is an agency that is representing a lot of the English and Irish guys, guys from the British Isles that have been, uh, and Welsh guys, that have been um, uh, involved with Orlando City from the time they moved from Austin in 2011 uh, up, up until their move to MLS. And O'Connor is part of that kind of family. And he went to Louisville, and Amanda Duffy became the team president. She went, uh, she's got a relationship with Phil Rollins. Uh, Jordan Buholz, uh, uh, who worked with Phil in, uh, in Austin before he came to work for us at the NASL, uh, he was put at that Louisville team. So it looked like, okay, Orlando was setting up this affiliate team in Louisville, and it's, uh, it's going to work, and Louisville even made purple their colors. They called themselves Louisville City, so it was common branding. Then, lo and behold, six months later, once Orlando City is in the middle of an MLS season, They've got a lot of call-ups for the Gold Cup. They've got other players getting injured. They realize the benefit of having an affiliate team or a reserve team in the same market and realize, right. my goodness, we can't recall these players that easily. They haven't trained with us. They're not in market. They're not in area. That's a competitive team that's fighting for their own uh, playoff uh, position in USL. We're going to start our own reserve team in market. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking Atlanta United – might come to that same conclusion after a year and think, you know what, maybe it's best to have Boris operate the Silverbacks at Silverbacks Park. They're in market. We can keep an eye on those players. We can even have those players train with us some days when they train and train with the USL team other days. You can't, you know, you can't do that with Charleston. Um, yeah. So right. I think that that's, that's possibly where it goes. Now, as far as just if there's a club you want to link up with in lower division soccer, it's the battery because the, they are arguably the best run lower division club in this country. Uh, but I think long-term Boris may still have an opportunity to put the silverbacks back in USL and work with Arthur Blank for the reasons I outlined uh, that we saw in Orlando this past season. Yeah, sure does make sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and I'm wondering if that, if that were to play out, would they end the relationship with the battery or would they have two teams in the USL or is that even legal? I think they might be able to have an affiliation with the battery uh, still and kind of a reserve team slash independently owned reserve team in, in market. I'm not sure how uh, it, it would work formally under this USL uh, MLS agreement. Maybe it could be amended. 
I think a, a thing for Charleston that's important is that they be able to get access to players without raising their budget substantially. And I know I know the guys who run the battery pretty well, and they've always been concerned about costs and the escalating co- uh, cost of doing business. And even when the new MLS CBA came into into place, uh, Charleston has typically spent enough money on their players. They're, they're not one of these uh, these teams. On I hate to reference this, but like the Silverbacks have been in the past, who pay guys a couple a couple hundred dollars a week, and they have to take second jobs and third jobs. Charleston, for the most part, has been a very professional organization that's tried to avoid that. But their concern has been as the cost of the minimum salary in MLS has increased, that has diminished their access to players who can sign at the lower division level for the kind of salary Charleston can afford to pay. So uh, they, they've been concerned in 2010 CBA and also, again, now the 2015 CBA, to the point where I think the battery would want to have some kind of security where they can get players on loan from MLS teams and not have to pay for a 30-man roster while there are teams in the league that they're competing with that aren't paying for any players for only paying for 15 players. So um, I think from a Charleston standpoint, they're going to want to keep an affiliation agreement with somebody uh, or at least maybe some sort of arrangement where they can get surplus players on loan from various MLS teams because uh, I know that organization in particular is concerned about the escalating cost of player salaries because they have a very – uh, definitive business model. They have a stadium that seats 5,000 people. They generally sell that stadium out uh, for, for bigger games. They have uh, great sponsorship revenue as far as the lower division um, lower division leagues are concerned. But again, it's, it's capped in a market of that size. It's, it's a very, very, as you know, having lived there, it's a very small market by comparison to the other teams that are in USL. Uh, mm-hmm. Even markets like Rochester that we think of are small markets are quite the size of uh, – of um, Charleston, Oklahoma City is probably three times the size, San Antonio, three or four times the size. So um, they really have to be careful about dollars and cents, and that's why I think they're going to want to keep some sort of affiliate agreement with, uh, if it's Atlanta or if it's somebody else. If there's a uh, eventually an MLS team in the Carolinas or an MLS team in Nashville, uh, that would be a good fit too. Or uh, obviously a second MLS team in Florida, which is coming soon in Miami. Um, that might be a good fit because in Florida, actually, all of the uh, uh, lower division teams are NASL teams who are not going to affiliate with an MLS team. So Charleston might be the option there also. Very, uh, very interesting. A lot of different possibilities. Uh, actually, just had one quick question, um, and because Drew and I talk about this, uh, or at least touch upon it quite often, and that is you know, with the Premier League, uh, and especially with Leicester doing so well this year, is that you can see that when these uh, you know the, these massive massive deals for uh, for for rights, you know they they get distributed throughout the league, and so you know as the the theory goes that as, as the Manchester Cities and United and Chelsea are doing well, that all of these other clubs are still getting some of that revenue and have the opportunity to purchase some good players now and then. I, I'm I, I'm I'm wondering um, is it is it a is it a problem moving forward that you know, that that model doesn't exist between any of these leagues. or And I may be wrong about that, but I don't think it does. Um, and so if you have the MLS that continues to grow and uh, gets more 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 rights and, and sells more advertising and all that stuff, are they going to be, you know, sort of leave these other leagues behind, like, too much for anything to, you know, be a real genuine uh, shot at competition or anything like that? Yeah, that's a very real concern. And, and uh, this goes back to, since you mentioned the Premier League, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, so I'm just going to mention it quickly, that um, the Premier League, when they broke off of the Football League in 1992, 
part of the the the, the, the motivation was to keep TV money within those 20, 22 teams at the time, but now 20, uh, because the Football League distributes TV money evenly among all the rest of their teams. Among, at the time, 92 professional teams in England. Now it's the 72 that are left between those three bottom three divisions. That having been said, what the Premier League has now been able to do, you mentioned Leicester, uh, we've hit a, a point of diminishing returns uh, from, from from spending in the Premier League. I'm, I'm convinced that you look at the, the wage bills this season, Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester City are the top three. I believe in that order. I think uh, United has passed both Chelsea and, and City again, even though for a while those two were the two big spenders. The last few uh, years of spending since Ferguson left has put United back on top. Uh, they're spending an incredible amount of money. Leicester, uh, is not spending very much. But every, there is so much money flowing around the Premier League from TV money that when we say, oh, well, Leicester isn't spending that much or Swansea isn't spending that much, well, it's still they're spending more money than – they have more money, more ability to spend money than any club in the Bundesliga, which is the, the league which gets the highest attendance in the world. Even Bournemouth is going to have more TV money this season from um, – from the Premier League, or whoever gets relegated finishing 20, it'll be Villa probably. Villa will ha- generate more TV revenue than Bayern Munich will this season. The Premier League has created a model where all of their teams are sufficiently wealthy to where, yeah, Chelsea and Man City and Man United and Arsenal are spending more money than everybody else, but uh, don't, don't cry poverty for Leicester or for Swansea. They're making plenty of money. They have plenty of money to spend on players, and that's why I think you see – Leicester, as good as they are this season, West Ham has been very good. They went and got Dimitri Payet, who was a guy in past years would have gone to a top four club. There's enough money flowing around that league. Um, now, because they have promotion and relegation and their parachute payments from Premier League teams, that money now has flown down into the championship where a team like QPR gets relegated last season and they're, they're spending money in, in, in the championship and, and Burnley, and et cetera. Um, since we don't have promotion and relegation here, Yes, it could very easily happen, the scenario you're laying out. Because the Premier League, when they broke off, there was um, this concern that they were going to hoard all the money within those, those 20 teams or 22 teams at the time. The remedy in order to get the FA and um, the Football League to buy in was to say, okay, we will send money down in the form of parachute payments with teams that get relegated back to the championship. And because they've done that, there's enough money that's flowed some of those teams from the Premier League, uh, like Wigan, now have fallen all the way to the to League One. Uh, Sheffield United's in League One. They were a Premier League team for, 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 several, for several seasons at, at different points. So uh, that money has now flowed throughout English football. Without promotion and relegation or MLS saying, okay, when we get the next big TV contract, we're going to spend, we're going to give NASL and USL X amount to, for player development and developing those markets, uh, then we might have a problem in this country. We probably will, quite honestly. Yeah, it doesn't seem like there is a uh, clear path to uh, this mutual, mutually agreeable uh, scenarios that we would, would all love to see. Um, so, you know, it, it just goes to show that, that as, as we grow the game, um, you know, we are going to experience a lot of growing pains. And uh, I know I think we tend to think we have gone through some of those going, growing pains, and, and to a certain extent we have in terms of gaining a market base uh, and people interested in soccer, but really that's that's only the first hurdle, um, as we're sort of seeing here. Um, that's going to uh, do it for our show, unless uh, you had any final thoughts for us, Drew? Uh, no, I just uh, appreciate Cardi coming on. Another wonderful guest, like we were talking about, very knowledgeable. Check out uh, him uh, at World's 
SoccerTalk.com, and um, I guess everyone be sure to follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you if you want to look at look up previous um, podcasts, we're on Stitcher, we're on iTunes, and um, yeah, I look forward to talking with you next week. And I appreciate your time, Carter. Thank you so much. It was fun. Yeah, when we will uh, be back with more episodes throughout the year. Looking forward to next time. All right. Sorry, it's uh, not finishing, but I guess you can edit it, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll just cut it out whenever. Um, cool. All right, cool. Uh, Cardick, really, I mean, really, really appreciate you coming on. That was, uh, I mean, I have struggled really to understand how all this Yeah. I hope I explained it. I was long-winded, I know, but it's it's very complicated. I mean, you didn't have any other choice with all the complexity. I mean, there's no, there's no simple way of breaking it down. So I appreciate your efforts. It's complicated. You know, it's complicated for American sports fans, but it's also complicated for like traditional football fans because the structure is not like the structure in Europe or in South America. It's just weird. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, I know Drew's got to run, so uh, we'll let you go. But I'll uh, I'll work to get this up um, within the next 24 hours or so, and I'll make sure tagged on Twitter, and uh, we can uh, share it out with the world. Great, great. I appreciate it, guys. Anytime you need me, just holler. All, All right. right. We'll Cardick, James, thank you. I appreciate both your time and a uh, great job today. Thank yep. you, guys. Cool. Peace. Bye, bye.